Peter chapter 4, and we are picking up in verse 12. And let's just go ahead and read through verses 19, and that's will be, that will be the passage that we will be focusing on this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in some other people's business. All right? Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, which that's important, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where is the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Now, in this passage here, Peter is repeating a lot of what has already been stated in the previous chapters. As we see, verses 12 and 13, you can go back and reflect on chapters 1, verse 7. Verses 14 and 15, you will see chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. In verse 15, you will see verse 3, or chapter 3 and verse 17. And you'll see a big contrast from verse 16 back to chapter 3 and verse 16. So a lot of what he is saying, he's already stated at least once, but now it's kind of an under, now, now he's, he's going at a, he's adding things to what he has already said. Now, over the last several um, weeks, we've gone through this, and since we've been in chapter 3, verses 13 and on, this has been in the, in the idea, actually even before that, and it's really the whole book of, of what this really is, it's about suffering. It's about suffering rightfully. It's about undeserved suffering. It's about being persecuted and suffering for doing what is good, for living righteous before God. This is what he has been talking about here. Remember, these are the pilgrims of the dispersion, those who have been dispersed out of their homes, out of their, their countries, pretty much lost everything, and now they have been scattered for the salvation, for the, for the, not for the salvation, for the, for, the, um, for the saving of their own lives physically. And they, and they are on the run. And this is, coming, this is coming into the reign of Emperor Nero, who has been known to burn Christians alive. So it's not a safe place. So it's obvious that they are suffering, but it's undeserved suffering. All right? There should be no shame in what's going on, and we're going to see what all that means as we go through these passages today. Now, the first thing that I want us to see here, it, it kind of wraps up the statements that he's making up until this point in verse 11. He goes, in dominion forever and ever, amen. And then he starts to reiterate a lot of what he's talking about. And he says, beloved, as he's readdressing them, 
Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened. Do not think it strange. In other words, don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed at the fact of fiery trials that is to try you. Don't be alarmed about this. Don't be alarmed about what? Well, the reality of verse 4. Remember what verse 4 said. In verse 4 it says, In regard to these, I think it's strange that you no longer run with them with the same dissipation, and they speak evil against you. The Gentiles, the world, once you've come to know Christ as your personal Savior, you no longer run with them. They think it's strange, and they speak evil of you. And Peter says here, beloved, don't think it's strange or don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed when they think you're strange and speak evil against you. Whenever you face suffering or persecution or whenever they revile you or speak evil against you, don't be shocked if that is the case. Now, he did remember what he did talk about in verse 3, that if we do practice good deeds... In verse 13, he said, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? They're saying the best case scenario, as we've already covered, is that you be at peace and pursue peace. Be a doer of good. Seek to be a blessing to all people. That is the best case scenario to live at peace. But he says, however, in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, and if you should suffer in, ver in chapter 4 and verse 13, don't be surprised. The possibility is certainly there. You know, we, are, we have been fortunate in, in our country and to, live, to live in a generation where it's been accepted and been okay. But it's not the case for the rest of the world. It certainly wasn't the case for the readers of 1 per, Peter, the ones to whom Peter was writing. It's not always been the case, and it's still not the case in, in the world today. But however, we've been fortunate. So though we have not had to suffer greatly, as many people have in the past, we at least need to be willing to suffer and even expect to suffer. Because the way that our world is going, we are seeing that Christianity is getting less and less popular and the world is getting more and more apathetic towards it. So I'm here to tell you this morning, maybe this is a warning, suffering and persecution should be expected when you're, whenever you are a follower of Jesus in this world. The thing about it is, is we don't need to think that it's strange. Okay, so be expecting this. That some strange, and don't, don't think it's strange that some strange thing has happened to you. Now, I want us to understand that this really flies in the face of what is often taught and preached. This really goes against what we see as the modern-day gospel. And you've heard, me, you've heard me talk about it before, but a lot of us have seen and heard that if you put on Jesus Christ and become a believer in Jesus Christ, all of your problems will go away. We see a lot of that on TV and the TV evangelists. Not that, not, not that all TV evangelists are bad. I'm, just, I'm not trying to blanket that. But we see a lot of it. I see a lot of it on the Internet. I see a lot of it spoken. And that's not true. If you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, your problems in this world are never guaranteed to go away. And Jesus actually said that persecution is likely. Actually, he said that there's no servant that's greater than his master. If they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. The world is a hater of Jesus, and if you are a follower of him, they will treat you as such. 
So the modern day gospel, get saved and all of your problems will go away, is absolutely not true. Peter is combating that saying, beloved, don't think it's strange. When the world thinks you're strange, the fact that you don't run in the self-indulgent harmful behavior that they do and they speak evil against you. When that happens, don't think it's something odd, but it's actually normal for the world to react in that way towards followers of Jesus. So don't think it's a strange thing when that happens to you. Now the thing about it is, is whenever we, whenever we say or whenever it is told or whenever it is preached and whenever it is taught, that as long as you have enough faith that all of your problems will go away, your financial problems, your marriage will heal, your, your job will be fine, if you'll just put on Jesus Christ and all of your problems will go away. One, that can't be the gospel because that's not applicable to everyone, is it? And so Jesus Christ didn't come to save your problems in this world. He came to save your problem with your eternity. His sacrifice on the cross was to buy your salvation and to bring you into heaven, to pull you out of the pits of hell, to bring you from death into life, to eternally change your destiny with him forever. That's why he came to die. Now, though it is true that for some people, their life does get better. But before I get into that, the, the, fact that, the fact that if we preach that if you put on Jesus Christ and all of your problems will go away, in one sense that, that can't be true and it can't be the gospel because it's not applicable to anyone or not, not applicable to everyone. You know, I have I've pr- had the privilege to preach in, in the prison. And I'm going to tell you, it's really fun. <laughs> it, really is, it really is fun because they like to have church. Okay, and they're really excited about the hope that they, that they hear in Jesus Christ because some of them, that's all that they have to hold on to. But for me to preach a gospel that says, hey, if you get saved, all your problems will get, go away, that's not true. For most of them, or some of them, or for many of them, they will die in that prison because of the past criminal behavior that has brought a sentence of, of a time that will exceed their lifetime or they're in there for life. For some of them, not all of them. So that, would, that, would that be applicable to, for us to say to the prisoner, put on Jesus Christ and your problems are going to go away? No. But what you can offer them is a message of hope that regardless of their sinful behavior that they've done here, Christ has died for that. And you can put your faith and trust in him. And though it may not get you out of prison, it's not, it's not a guarantee to get you out of prison early. It's not a guarantee that your life is going to be, be great. You may still be stuck here. But however, you'll have something to which you could look forward you have eternal life now with Jesus Christ. And that's the message of the gospel. So don't think it's strange when something like that happens to you and being persecuted. I say all that just to say that it flies in the face of what is often taught. Putting on Jesus Christ will give you more blessing than you could ever imagine. But those blessings are not always guaranteed in this life according to worldly standards. We seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We store treasures in heaven so that where our treasure is, there our heart will be, and that's where our focus will be. And when all of that stuff kind of goes in together, we, are, we come to a point where I'm willing to suffer for the greater good, for the treasure that is going to be put up for me in heaven. And as I said, but some, as I said earlier, but for some, you know, things do get better. That's always not a guarantee. And for a lot of people, the reason things get better is because they're living within the consequences of their sinful behavior. And whenever they come to know Christ as their personal Savior, and they're completely changed by that gospel, 
Then their lifestyle changes. They're no longer involved in sexual promiscuity or in, um, or in drug addiction or running with the wrong clouds or running with the Gentiles with that type of dis- dissipation that they used to. And so therefore the consequences and the circumstances and the natural consequences of the sinful behavior tend to fade away and things get much better for them. You know, there was a lady that, we, um, that, I, that I knew and I heard her story and um, it was just a phenomenal story about how the life, how her life was impacted when she came to know Christ. She was someone who was caught up in, 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 a, in prostitution and drug addiction. And she'd come into a church service just broken and maybe even, maybe even high, didn't really know exactly what was going on. But that night she gave her life to Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted her through all of that. And she was broken. I mean, to look at her, she looked about 20 years older than what she actually was, missing teeth and everything. She came to know Christ, and the church came, and they supported her, and they, they loved her. And she gave her life to Christ and continued to follow him. And her life drastically changed. To look at her now and today, she's a very beautiful, elegant woman who's a very successful cosmetician. And um, so her life truly did change, and it changed for the better in this life. But mainly, it changed for her for the better in her eternity. You know, she could have cleaned up her life, you know, by stopping, stopping the, the, the prostitution, stopping the drugs, getting into school, and then and pursuing a career. She could have done that all on her own. But what she couldn't have done on her own was to, was to get right with God, because that only happens through Jesus Christ. And that's what, that was, that's what impacted her the most. So, however, her story is not always the story that we hear. We see, we see those, the, the Muslims who would, con, who would convert to Christianity, their life is in danger with their families to be disowned. They have to flee the country and flee from their, free from their lives, much like these people here are doing, and suffering for that. So the consequences of becoming a Christian in this world and how the world looks at you can very well be negative. But however, it's positive in the fact that your eternal security is now rests in God and in the hands of Jesus Christ. So I say all of this to say that whenever we come across fiery trials, we find ourselves suffering for our righteous behavior, don't think it's strange, okay? Don't think a strange thing has happened to you, but yet you want to expect that these fiery trials are here to try us. And what we do find is that whenever someone is as brought to, um, brought, brought to faith, and say it is based on a personal testimony of, sal- of a salvation experience, which I think we have to be very careful when we use our personal salvation experience as, as a way to convince someone to come to Christ. The reason being is that they may use your personal testimony with your personal experience as a standard by which they will judge their own salvation. Now, we all have different experiences in our walk with Christ. Okay? Those can vary from, from Paul to Peter to me to you. I don't think any of us got saved on the road to Damascus, anybody? Seeing a blinding light in the audible voice of Jesus? Now, if that's the standard for salvation, then, you know, we might all be in trouble. So it's not about the personal experience that really matters. And one, I don't really think that our personal testimony can really add any value to the gospel. And I think we should share our experiences that we have as a Christian and following Jesus and all the good things and the glorious things and the blessings that he gives us. And I think we should all, we all should reflect those back to God. Absolutely. We should talk about those things and share them, but not as a means of, but not as a means of convincing someone 
to come to Christ. We come to Christ because our, we, we are sinful and we need forgiveness. And that he promises an eternal home with him and not always, the, not always an equal um, or the same, ben, same benefits in this world. Okay? So he says, don't think it's strange if that happens to you. And I want to say that whenever it's unexpected, for, for many people, they walk away from the faith whenever they do come into these fiery trials. And why do you think that is? Well, because it was unexpected. I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I became a Christian because I wanted all of my problems to go away. And now that whenever they come and they follow Jesus Christ, <clears throat> they find exactly what Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. And they said, look, I'm out of here. It's not what I signed up for. It's an unexpected result. But however, if you come to it, understanding the truth and knowing that, look, my salvation is not for my salvation in this life alone, but my salvation is about eternity. And that if, in, if and in this world, if I follow Christ, the possibility of me suffering for that is high. So whenever you do come to that, at least you're expecting it and you can be better prepared for it, which will also in turn make you look and to seek and to watch and be watchful for Christ's return because it will be that much sweeter for you. Which brings us into verse 13. See, in verse 13, it says, But rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory revealed is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. So how do, how do we rejoice in doing this? One, we can rejoice in the fact that we know and understand that we are partaking in the sufferings of Christ. So what are the sufferings of Christ? Well, it's suffering undeservedly. It's suffering for doing good. It's suffering for the benefit of other people. And partaking and being identified with Christ in that. In suffering for doing good, what we actually learn is what it means to be Christ-like in our suffering. But also, as the suffering is not for necessarily our benefit. Christ suffered for whose benefit? Our benefit, correct? Ours. Do you think he suffered for his own benefit? No. Out of his love and his graciousness towards mankind, he came and was willingly laid down his life, willing to suffer and to die on the cross for us. We don't make him any better when we become saved. Okay? We don't make him any worse when we, when we reject him. This is simply out of God's love and grace that he's extended towards his creation and we have an opportunity to be made right with him through the work that Christ did on the cross he suffered for other people so what should we do as followers of Jesus well I think we should be willing to suffer for the cause of Christ for the benefit of other people this is something that we are called to do we as those who are in Christ, we are called to follow the steps of Jesus. Let's take a look back at chapter 2 in verse 21. It says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not asking you to go out and look for reasons to make your life miserable. Okay? 
But given the culture that we find ourselves in today, a changing culture, not what it was 20 years ago, definitely not what it was 50 years ago, to commit your life to following Christ, and though you may not have to pay that price right now, but at least be willing. Be ready and be willing. So when that time comes, you don't think it's strange, but you've been expecting, you've been expecting it, you have been preparing for it, as we see back in chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and, and that always, you should always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks of the hope that lives within you. Be ready, be willing, and be prepared for that. Though many people in the world are suffering now, today is looking like we will, can, we, we will begin to suffer unless the culture radically changes and the church gets on fire for Christ and begins preaching the gospel and seeing lives changed. But to rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, because that's what we are called to do, suffer for other people's benefit. We are here to be a blessing to all people. That's what, that's what happens when we're good stewards with our freedom and our abilities. We are to use our abilities, as we see in verse Verse 10, to minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold gospel. And also as we speak, we speak as the oracles of God or the mouthpiece of God. To be good stewards of the gospel message that we could also preach to those who are dead, that they may be alive in Christ. We do it for the benefit of other people. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is what? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to it, which is to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And in partaking in the sufferings of Christ, to live before the world, following Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel, ministering to one another, we are loving our neighbors, but also even if it brings about suffering, we are still glorifying God, as you'll see here in verse 14. And glorifying God within our sufferings for doing good. Not all of our sufferings are for doing good, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, Peter actually speaks from experience, you know, being, with the, with the, being one of the apostles and all. And we see in Acts chapter 5, we see an instance of this, of rejoicing for being thought strange and being spoken evil and being ridiculed and even persecuted for this. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, the apostles, they had been preaching, and they've been pre preaching Jesus' resurrection, the, the Jews and the officials didn't like that idea, so they arrested them. They threw them in prison. An angel came and he opened the door. They got back out and they went right back to preaching the gospel about Jesus and him being resurrected. Well, they didn't like that again. They found out that they were out there preaching again, so they drugged them back in, arrested them. And then they asked this question. It says, and when they agreed, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them or flogged, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so they departed from the presence of the council with their head hung low, bitter and angry, because following Jesus didn't give them a better life. Is that what happened? Now, after they had been beaten and flogged and commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Rejoicing after getting beat up. And then going right back out and doing exactly what got you in that circumstance to begin with. And they're rejoicing about it. 
Now, the reason it says that they were rejoicing is because they have identified themselves with Christ in his suffering. They found it worthy, to be counted worthy, to suffer shame for Christ's name. I don't think there's any, anything any more honorable than that. We, we call it, we, we see it honorable when a soldier dies in combat to secure the freedoms of the countrymen. It is a very honorable thing. But is it, isn't it also honorable when we find ourselves suffering for doing good and doing righteous behavior before God from this world? Yes, it is honorable. It is an honorable thing to do. And they rejoiced because they felt that they were counted worthy to suffer and to be identified with Christ in such a way. Now think about this. Now for the, for the person who's given it all out, who's laid his life on the line for the cause of the gospel, for, the, for following Jesus Christ, he is following the calling that, that was called upon him. As we look, and he lived his life according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, that he is walking worthy of the calling which, to which he was called and suffering for, suffering for the cause of Christ and following Jesus Christ's footsteps. How much sweeter is that day going to be when Jesus Christ appears? How much more sweeter would that be for the one who was willing to suffer? How much more does that person who's willing to suffer how much more are they looking forward to that glorious appearing of Jesus Christ during that day? Oh, yeah. It's going to make it much sweeter. You know, you can play on a football team in the NFL and sit the bench and win a championship. But how much sweeter is it if you actually get in and play the game? Yeah. How much sweeter is it? Is that glorious appearing going to be when we sacrifice everything for everything that we have for the cause of Christ and we're being willing to do it? How much more sweeter is that going to be? And I believe that's what we see in the context of verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that you may be glad and exceedingly joyful. In verse 14, as we continue. The reason why we can rejoice, again, this, this is at least the third time that Peter has said this, that you're blessed, folks. You're blessed beyond what you deserve. For those of us who are in Christ, we have already gained way more than we could ever even have expected. And it's so much sweeter and so, and so, and so good that we can't even really fathom the reality of what we have in Christ. It has not all been revealed to us yet. So regardless if we get anything, you know, regardless if we have God's presence while we're going through the suffering or not, we are still blessed beyond what we can imagine. But even in the midst of the reproach and even in the midst of the suffering, the suffering for good, okay, the suffering for good, the suffering for living your life out, out following Jesus here. I'm qualifying that suffering. There's other types of suffering, but I'm talking about the actual, the actual result of us living out um, our faith in the world. It says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, why? For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. This sounds very familiar to what we read back in um, uh, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And here we see that if you are reproached, blessed are you for the spirit of God and glory rest upon you. Now, the word rest there actually means it will rest upon you with a refreshing power. 
it almost seems to fit exactly what we read in chapter 5 of, of Acts, right? They got beaten and they rejoiced. It's almost like they were refreshed because they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how all that works there. But however, we are promised that if we are ridiculed and reproached for the name of Christ, we are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you with a refreshing power. Though, though we may not have ever experienced this certain thing yet, but however, it's there for those who are willing to suffer and to be reproached for the name of Christ. It says, in this you are glorified. I'm skipping that part, but the very last phrase there says, but on your part, God is glorified. So yes, we honor and glorify God by serving others whenever we are willing to at least suffer for the cause of Christ and to focus on our faith and live out our faith before the world. But on their part, he is blasphemed. Who's blasphemed here? God's blasphemed, right? God is the one who's blasphemed. So this is going to be a very, very useful statement that I'm going to say for you this morning. Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. It's not about you. It's not about me. But whenever we live our lives out for Christ and the, and the world ridicules us for that righteous behavior before God, and though we may be guilty before man and innocent before God, the blasphemy is against, the, against God and not you, so don't take it personal. And believe it or not, the world doesn't really revolve around me. So whenever we do find ourselves reproached for the name of God, for the name of Christ, they're blaspheming the name of Christ and not you, if in fact it is behavior that's honoring and glorifying to God. God is glorified. And, and when we do this, verse 15. Now, like I said, there's different types of suffering. So I think regardless of what, where you are and what you do in this world, you're going to come into suffering. Okay, we've, we've mentioned this, I believe, the last couple of weeks in, in, each, in each sermon. But when you suffer, make sure it's not for, for criminal behavior. That's what he's saying here. It's like, when it, it's like, but if you do suffer, you know, don't, be, don't suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or a busybody in someone else's business. Don't suffer in that way. There's no question that murderers and thieves and, and nosy people, they suffer, right? And rightly so. It's just a natural consequence of their sinful behavior. So if you suffer, make sure this is not on the list. Don't suffer for criminal behavior. Don't suffer for sinful behavior. But however, if you do suffer, in verse 16, suffer as a Christian. Limit your suffering from, from the bad stuff, okay? And suffer for doing good. If you suffer, suffer as a Christian and do not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. I also want you to understand that there is no shame in glorifying God. There's no shame in getting ridiculed and persecuted for the cause of Christ. Whenever you speak out the truth in this world and people speak against you because of it, blaspheming the name of Christ... Don't be ashamed in doing that. A lot of the Christian activity in the world that we see today seems to be a lot of really weak, silent Christians. You know, silence isn't always a good thing. 
silence, sometimes there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. We read in Ecclesiastes. But silence is not always a loving thing to do. Affirmation certainly isn't always a good thing that we should do. And remaining neutral on certain, certain topics and ideas is not a loving thing to do. But when you suffer as a Christian, a Christian is a Christ-like behavior, following the name of Christ, his teachings, proclaiming the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into light, and if we were to speak, to speak as the oracles of God. And don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to tell people the truth about God's word. Don't remain neutral. Now, if, you, if you're ignorant about the situation, just say, look, I really don't know about that. You know, I have, I've really questioned myself to the very core of all of my beliefs over the last several, several years, eight to ten years. So, I know, one, I know what I believe. And two, whenever, that, whenever something is asked of me, I'm going to have an answer. And if anything is exposed that I don't have the answer to, I'm going to go find the answer. But neutrality is not Christian. That's avoiding suffering as being a Christian. Not speaking out whenever we should speak out. Not preaching the gospel is avoiding suffering, but also denying Christ and denying his commands on us. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed. It's an honorable thing. Rejoice if, you've, if you are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And let, let him glorify God in this manner. Because it's really about whose perspective, it's really about from God's perspective is, is what we're actually concerned with. Because we see here that there's no shame in suffering as a Christian. But we go back and we see in verse, chapter 3 and verse 16 that the one that will defame and, evil, and speak evil against those who are evil against those who have good conduct in Christ, those are the ones who will be ashamed. Those are the ones who will stand before God ashamed. There is no shame in teaching the truth. Always coupled with humility and respect, as we see back in chapter 3 and verse 15. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed about it. Suffering is going to come one way or the other, but make sure that when we suffer, it's because we are suffering as Christians and not as a criminal. In verse 17 and 18, we'll start to wrap this up. It says, for the time has come, for the time has come, for judgment to begin in the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will, at the end of, what will be at the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Pretty much what we can wrap up this is, is that Christians, we can suffer now and we can glory later. Be willing to suffer now and glory later. And it's, it's quite possible you could step out in faith and walk with Christ and you may not, you may, you may not run into this suffering. Okay? It's, it's, quite, it's quite possible. But it's also highly probable that you will. The thing is, the thing is we must expect it. We must be willing and, willing and ready to suffer now because our glory is what comes later. We have our trials now, but our glory is later. The lost will have their glory now and their suffering later. The only heaven that the lost sinner will know is what he has experienced here on earth. The suffering that we endure 
for the cause of Christ is going to be minuscule in comparison to the glory we will experience whenever he returns. And also for the lost, the glory that this world has brought to them and the enjoyment that they've lived in this world here is going to be minuscule in comparison to the suffering that they will have in eternity. Our glory is not here. Though we can experience good things in this life and God blesses us in this life, yes, that is true. But we need to understand with the perspective and adopt the mind of Christ that it's about glorifying God the Father through Jesus to whom all glory and dominion belong. And it's about being willing to suffer. It's about willing to make the sacrifice, to pay the price of discipleship, to pay the cost, to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and to follow him. Our glory is not here. So we need to stop trying to cultivate that glory here and have our minds focused on the big picture, which is eternity. We, we, are, we, we should be willing to suffer, to glorify God by ministering to others. Love God and love your neighbor. We start living our lives as Christians with the expectation of suffering and rejoicing in it because we will re rejoice when we understand what it means to be a partaker in Christ's sufferings. And in verse 19, as we begin to close, and as our musicians come forward and prepare for an invitation. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So one, I want you to understand, once you've brought yourself to the to the to the place of suffering for the cause of Christ. Peter is calling his readers to further commit their souls to him. To further commit. To anchor down, to settle in that faithful walk. And to continue doing it. Understand the audience to whom Peter is writing. Remember, they are the persecuted ones. Scattered. They've already paid a big cost. And now Peter is saying, look, if you find yourself suffering, commit even further. Continue to commit your soul to God and to those good works. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. That's what gives us the ability to continue walking forward in our faith and committing to doing good. It's because we do have a faithful creator. We have a faithful God. And what is he faithful in? He's faithful in securing our salvation. For eternity, the inheritance will always be there waiting for you. It's, being, it's, it's ready to be real, revealed to you on the last day. That's yours set in stone by the blood of Christ. We have a Father who's faithful to never leave us nor forsake us. He said that the spirit of glory and God will rest upon you, those who are reproached for righteousness' sake. He has promised to bless us with that spirit of God and that glory. So I will close with this last statement, and it kind of wraps everything up. That when suffering as a Christian, don't think it's strange, but rejoice. Let's stand, let's have a hymn of invitation. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for the, the example that Christ has left for us. And Father, we thank you for the suffering that he was willing to go through. And Father, may we follow in his footsteps, Father, be willing to suffer. Father, I pray your protection over us, Father. Father, I pray for peace 
But how be it? If it be your will that we suffer, I pray that all of us will, will, will commit to doing that good work in Christ and move forward because, God, you are faithful and we can trust you. But we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.